in word and deed. You know, when we share about God's love, we're not preaching to people about them. We're preaching to people about Him. I don't preach to people to tell them what they have to do to qualify. I preach to them the one who's pre-approved them. See, if you're always preaching to people about them, you're always going to nitpick people to pieces. And nobody likes that kind of life because none of us really can qualify in and of ourselves. But thank God for himself, so I preach him. And sharing the love is communicating him. It's, it's, it's sharing about the one who, who swallows all of us up in his victory, in his death, burial, and in his risenness. So we have to let the life of God in Christ astonish us in such a way and capture our heart where we know how to communicate the love of the Father. You know, sometimes when you talk about sharing the love or letting your life be a witness, it's kind of uncomfortable. I remember for many years, and I'm in the ministry, I mean, to go out and witness sometimes, I, I had to work myself up. It was like before a basketball game or something. I had to get fired up to get the energy to go tell somebody, you know, about Jesus because it was a work to me. It just wasn't a natural overflow. But through the years, God's had mercy on me. Aren't you glad he has mercy? And he puts us in a place, the comfort zone of his love, which then our sharing is just the overflow bubbling of what his divine life has done for us. And it's, it's, uh, it, it can capture the hearts of those around us. And so our witnessing is not a work. Or something that you have to put on to try to convince somebody. It's, it's not a debate. It's, it's a natural overflow of something we've received. And that we continue to receive and believe because of the truth of God's love and God's grace that's anchored in our hearts. So in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, I want to share one verse, Luke 2, verse 12. This is anchored in the story of the announcement of the birth of Jesus. When God became physical, God became man. And uh, the announcement was the heavenly sound of the angels to the shepherds. Remember, these were the good old boys working the third shift, the night shift. And these, these guys probably knew the law and probably tried to be obedient to the law the best they could. But they were good old farm boys, and so they probably were rough around the edges according to their capacity, right? But Jesus was born, and the Father had to announce it to the earth, to astonish people. Look at it says. The Bible says, and this, this is what the angel said to the shepherds. This will be the sign to you. Everybody say sign. sign. This will be the sign to you. You know, a sign tells you where you are. A sign can tell you where to go. Uh, the sign can take the uncertainty out of your heart. A sign can give you confidence. A sign can bring clarity. A sign can give you direction. But, but, but the sign has to be seen. The sign has to be interpreted correctly. You know, there's a lot of signs that don't get my attention. Heidi and I flew in Friday night to um, Oakland, and there were a lot of signs that I ignored because they weren't related to what I was interested in. It's only the signs that your heart is captured by that can draw you. And what God does is God gives the human race a significant sign that's got to capture you. 
I was with your pastors uh, yesterday in uh, the city of uh, downtown uh, San Francisco. Just a beautiful day and went to the pier and different things and, you know, eight, four, five, six, seven times. It was a beautiful day. <laughs> and uh, anyway, uh, well, we had a good time, but there were signs, there were roads that were closed, there were one-way things, and so we're all trying to figure out, you know, where we're going. And, you know, we were being led by your, your fearless pastor. And he had us going in circles, you know. So since we could, you know, he had three helpers in the car, me and my wife Heidi and his wife Brenda. And the three of us were given little clues and little ideas, and our help wasn't helping him. So I said, well, since my wife can't help you, Pastor Mark, I'll let my girlfriend help you. So I got Siri on the line. Hallelujah, huh? You know, (laughs) Siri... Siri is on the Apple phone, you know, and gives directions and tells you where to go and where to turn. You know, when Heidi's not with me to tell me where to go, I get Siri on. And Siri always tells me where to turn and what to do. And if you don't obey Siri, what does she say? Make a U-turn, make a U-turn, go back, turn right at 200 feet or whatever. And then if you keep ignoring the sign of Siri, you'll be redirected eventually to get to your destination. What I'm trying to say is God gives you a sign. And if you don't interpret the sign right, the sign won't capture you. That's why most of the human race today in America and around the world has no seemingly interest in the gospel. You know why? Because it's not interpreted right. They don't see the sign. They don't understand their need for a Savior. And so this will be the sign to you, the angel said. You will find a baby. Notice the sign is a baby. Something that seems so insignificant is what is significant. It's a baby. The innocence of a baby. You know, I don't know about you. I love babies. When, when I see little babies, I'm just drawn to them. And I get baby-ish. You know, goo, goo, goo. Heidi says I'm great with babies. You know, I get down. I crawl on the floor. I, I mean, with babies, I don't know. In airports, I go nuts. You know, we're sitting. I'm supposed to be a distinguished preacher. You know what I mean? And sitting there and being like, man, I'm talking to little kids and little... But the babies draw a joy out of me. It's beautiful. The baby Jesus should put such a joy in you that captures you, that allows you to convey his love unconsciously. Where there's no effort in ministry. Where there's no effort in trying to connive somebody into getting saved and thinking you did something good. It's an overflow of his radical love that's captured you and redeemed you that now by osmosis almost, it just pours from you. You find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Now here's the sign that the father wants you to see. The sign is Jesus. But it's not just the life of Jesus. The sign, if you read it right, is the death of Jesus. It's not just the physical life of Jesus as a baby, God in flesh form. You know, God in flesh form shows you the Father's love for you in that God is good to you. But the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger is a picture of his death. You know, when Jesus died, they came and took his body, they wrapped him in linen, and they laid him in a stone tomb, rolled a stone in front of it. What the shepherds saw 
was the plan of the Father in the Lamb of God. The life of Jesus to show you that God is good to you, but the death of Jesus to show you that you are good to God. To me, the beauty of being a believer is to understanding the sign. You know, the manger here, uh, you know, in the old days, the shepherds had mangers like feeding troughs. When I was a young kid growing up in Michigan, I raised farm animals, and I lived in a little town. A thousand people lived five miles outside of the town in an old farmhouse, and I raised pigs. And I would make uh, feeding troughs for my pigs out of wood, and I would slap the hogs, you know. But in those days, the feeding trough was hewn out of stone. So when the baby was wrapped, lying in the stone, it was showing the life of Jesus was to be the death for all of us. And the sign is what captures you. See, the death of Jesus shows you that you are good to God on his effort, not yours. And that's the beauty of the work of one. When you let your heart be captured by the sign, it does something astonishing to you. Jesus was born to die, and that's the sign of redeeming love. Jesus was the only child in all of humanity born to die. Once you realize that and realize how much God loves you through that, you realize that he gave up his son for that one purpose, to call you a son or a daughter, to be in his family. And Jesus' life shows you that God is good to you, but Jesus' death shows you that you are good or righteous or holy or blameless to God. And it's all because of the Lamb. Now, if you can believe that, and if you look at the sign long enough, it'll settle in your system in such a way it changes you. Now, look at it did to the shepherds. Let me, let me show you by the illustration here in Luke 2. This was in verse 12. Let's go to Luke verse 15. It says, So it was when the angels had gone away from them into the heavens that the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see the sign. Let us go to Bethlehem and see the sign. See, unless you take time and have a corresponding action in your life to behold the sign and to be astonished with the sign, it'll never grip you, never grab you, never change you. That, to me, is one of the great reasons why corporate community, church, is so important. Because every time we come, whether it's in the worship, whether it's in the teaching, it's to behold the Lamb of God and behold the beauty of the sign. To capture you, to keep you for another week. To keep you and strengthen you for another day, so to speak. Listen, I have to behold the beauty of the sign of God's life toward me and God's death for me in Christ constantly just to keep my sanity. Because life's crazy. Life's absolutely nuts. And you have to come to a place where your sole confidence is Christ alone. So you see the sign. And I have people that help me interpret the sign. That's why I listen to other teachers and preachers who are beholding the Lamb of God and reading. And reading where the whole focus is on Him and what He's done. It's very, very important. So let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord made known to us. Verse 17, when they had seen Him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. That's in verse 17. Notice when they saw Him, the sign... The baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in me. Somehow, sovereignly, supernaturally, God gave them utterance from it. Then they made known. I bet these guys weren't typical good 
time temple goer, you know, evangelist. I bet they're common people. I bet this might have been the first time they went public with something that stirred them. Said they made known widely what captured them. See, you'll always talk about what captures your heart. If you're, if you're, if you're overwhelmed with, you know, politics, you talk about it. If you're overwhelmed with terrorism, you talk about it. If you're overwhelmed with the economy and how rotten something is, you'll talk about it. But if you're beholding the Lamb of God, and I tell you, the Lamb of God is really all I got confidence in anymore. It's Jesus and what he's done. Hallelujah. And be so absolutely intoxicated with the love of the Lamb. I talk about it. I tell people in their misery, in their heartache, in their pain, in their chaos, in their murmuring, in their, in, their, in, their, in their frailty, I say, it's okay. We have something else and someone else we can look to who solves the issues that overwhelm all of our lives. It's Jesus, his life, and his death. Look at verse 18. All those who heard it marveled. When's the last time you shared something about Jesus and they marveled at you? You know, usually I share somebody about Jesus if I do it in a in a condescending way or a judgmental way, people get angry with you. When's the last time you've marveled at the gospel in such a way that you're good to God? It astounds you. Look at it, it goes on to say in verse 20. Luke 2, verse 20. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard as it was told them. I love it. When's the last time you've just glorified God, just praised God, because you've seen the sign? You know what I do? This is, this is my personal life now. Whether it's in my nighttime hours, like last night, or my daytime hours, I take moments, and I'm astonished. I've got to fill my mind with the astonishment of Jesus. I've got to. It anchors me. His love keeps me. His favor abounds in me when I do that. And I tell you, it's the only way to keep yourself from despair and depression. You know, there's so many saints just troubled with depression. My goodness. They're depressed more than they're happy. And I'm thinking, well, we're looking at the wrong thing. We're looking at whatever news or whatever programs or whatever things you seem to think going to help you. We need to look to the Lamb of God. We need to look to the line and get the proper interpretation. You know, that's why uh, sometimes we need help seeing things correctly. Praise the Lord. So once they checked Jesus out and allowed the sign of astonishing love to transform them, they couldn't help but convey it to others, the wonderful reality of redeeming love. And the Bible says they shared the love. It wasn't awkward. It wasn't clumsy. It wasn't religious. It wasn't fake. But it was real. It was authentic. It was joyous. And it had transforming results. Everybody that heard the shepherd boys, and they weren't orators, but everybody who heard their story marveled. See that God is good to us, that we're good to God. You've got to be kidding me all through the work of one. That Jesus plus nothing gets you everything. And that's why the beauty of the gospel astounds people. 
Because we're so used to trying to put in our two cents worth of righteousness or our two cents worth of good works or our two cents worth of something. But listen, you might as well get yourself out of the equation because you screw everything up. You might as well just be comfortable with the Lamb of God being your all in all. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a, a hallelujah or a shout or something. Amen. It's good news. So how do you share the love? Or do you share the love? Are you one of the, the rigid, religious sort of folk that try to debate and convey and come across like aggressive? Or are you just have a spontaneous overflow of just the peace of God, the joy of Jesus, and people wonder at you like, man, you're a little strange. And uh, you say, yeah, let me tell you why I'm such a nut, you know. And then you explain to them about the picture of the Lamb, that Jesus came as a babe to show us that heaven is for us in the earth, that God is good to us, that Jesus is the perfect picture of your father. He's not mad at you. He's mad about you. And in his death, you died with him. You were buried with him. You were raised with him. If you can believe it by simple faith, it can transform everything. And you step into the new creation. The new creation steps in you. Christ in you changes everything. And suddenly, if you can see the beauty of believing that righteousness now is a gift granted, suddenly it changes the way you think, the way you live, and uh, changes your whole approach to your day. So here are some reflections about the process or the equipping that I think the disciples or these shepherds experienced that get them out of a natural routine to experience a supernatural love that allowed them to present the Savior. And this, to me, is how they were able to share the love. Number one, these are three things I think the shepherds uh, got hold of when they saw the sign right. Number one, they experienced astounding grace. You know, Jesus is the grace of God. And when I use the term grace, guys, I'm just talking about not the different types of grace for, you know, saving grace and all these different things, which is very good and very useful. I'm talking about just the unmerited acceptance that you have before the Father in Christ. I'm talking about grace as just the unmerited favor. In other words, there's no, there's no merit in and of ourselves for anything. That Jesus is our everything. So they experience this astounding grace. That Jesus is the grace of God. He is the unmerited favor of the Father. So you and I can have access to the Father by faith alone. Jesus pre-approved you. You don't qualify before the Father based on you. Hallelujah. You're pre-approved before the Father based on the Lamb. Now, if you can believe that, that's enough just to absolutely make you happy. And that's the beauty of what God's love in Christ does for you. Jesus is the grace of God, and they experience this astounding grace. The Bible says in John 1:17, the law was given through Moses. That was the, the first covenant. But grace and truth, the new covenant, came in or through Jesus Christ. They were astounded. By grace. You know what astounding means? I looked it up in the dictionary. It means to be overwhelmed with amazement. And that's what the shepherds did. They, 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 they were astonished. They had wonder. They were astounded with amazement. They, they were in shock or with great surprise. When's the last time you've been 
surprised by the love of the Father? When is the last time it's absolutely gripped you and moved you in a certain capacity? To effectively and authentically share the love with radical life-changing ability, you must stay astounded with the grace of God. Every, every, every day I, I, take time, I take time to stay astounded. I, I really do. I, I, I still marvel at the fact that I'm good to God based on Jesus. I, I've got to grab that one by faith. Because there's many times in my life throughout a day or throughout a week or a month or, that sometimes I try to think of my relationship before the Father based on me. And it's really not a good thought for me. It's not real comfortable. Because this guy is just not forever constant in anything. But you know, I know the one who's ever constant, Jesus Christ, the one who never changes. Hallelujah. And he is the one who's my righteousness. He is the one who's my everything before the Father. And I, 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 that astounds me. But that's what I have to proclaim. And that's the only thing that can shock a human heart is to know that Jesus is their everything. So daily, take time to, to remain astounded. The gift of Jesus is the grace of God. And remain astounded in his finished work. Secondly is this. After they experienced astounding grace, they experienced abounding grace. Abounding grace. I know your pastor has been teaching a little bit on abounding. And uh, I, I uh, was intrigued when he mentioned that to me in passing yesterday. But notice grace has to like be supersized in you. You always, you always want to add to it. You know, a little dab will do you, but man, to get loaded is a lot better. And, and so you want to abound. You know, here's what abound means. It means to occur or exist in great quantities. It means to be rich or well supplied. It means to be filled to the brim, to team over, to overflow. I, once you're astounded by grace, like, you've got to be kidding me. You have to abound in the grace where you're confident in it. And uh, that's what Romans 5.17 says. Look at the scripture. It says, if by one man's offense death reigns through the ones, speaking of Adam, much more those who receive. Notice you don't earn grace. You don't work for it. You don't pray harder to get it. You, don't, you just receive the gift of it. You receive an abundance of grace. You receive an abundance. It, it, it amounts in you an abundance of grace. And the gift of righteousness. Notice righteousness before the Father. What works for you before the Father is the gift of righteousness. What works for you among men is your righteousness. But what works for you before the Father in the unmerited life is the gift of righteousness, Jesus. Among men, it's our righteousness, right? But look at this. You receive an abundance of grace and the gift of right. You reign in life. See, our victory in life, whether it's joy, peace, satisfaction, any of it, life in the Spirit, is basically understanding where we're astounded by who Jesus is and what he's done, and then we're abounding in the beauty of receiving what he's granted, gifts. Gifts of grace, gifts of righteousness. So every day I take time and I say to myself, I receive your love. In fact, I don't try to start my day with loving God. I start my day with letting God love me. Because sometimes I wake up grumpy. I don't want to love nobody. <laughs> Not even me. You know? I mean, sometimes I look in the mirror and scare myself for saying, I have to say, I receive your love. I receive what you've done for me. 
I receive your grace, your favor, your ability. I receive your life. Jesus, you died for me. My sins are forgiven. My sins have been forgotten. You've got to be kidding me. I receive your love. Yeah, take time to be astonished, you know, astounded, and then I bound. I grow in grace. Look, at, look how you grow in grace. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18. But grow in grace. It's the way you abound. Get more and more. Get loaded. And the knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. You grow in grace simply by looking to Jesus and growing in the knowledge of who he is and what he's done on your behalf. That's good news. Amen? You know, through the years, when you abound in grace and bound in something, sometimes that's where people, you know, don't, don't, don't understand because they don't see the sign the same way you see it. It doesn't move them to turn or go to a certain direction. They, you know, when, when I got radically thrilled with the love of God, I got a lot of criticism in ministry. And so through the years, everybody doesn't seem to like me, you know, or like what I do or the way I do it or the way I preach. Many years ago, this is back in the 1980s, I was preaching in a church and there was a guy there and he's a great guy. But after the service, we were back in the lobby. He said, I can't stand the way you preach. And uh, so I said, well, I'm sorry. He said, you use all these alliterations, all this cheap stuff. You're not a hard preacher on people. You don't tell them, you know, about sin and they're, you know, they're bound to hell throughout your message like I do. And I said, well, I'm sorry. You can have at it. But, you know, I've got to be who I am, you know. But he didn't, he didn't like uh, that I would preach faith. So he would say, you're hyper-faith. I remember in the old days, back in the day, people say, you're hyper-faith, hyper And all I say is, hey, all I'm telling people is all things are possible to those that believe. You know, all I'm telling people is, Jesus said you can believe the promises in your heart. You can speak them with your mouth. Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. I'm going to preach that. I'm going to proclaim. Well, you're hyper-faith. So that was the criticism, you know. I'm hyper-faith. Because I got just excited about Jesus. Then years after that, you know, I, I, the, new, the new accusation against me was I was, I was hyper-grace. You're hyper-grace, Keith, because... You always talk about the unmerited favor of the Father. You always talk about people's position before the Father is not based on them. Their position before the Father is based on Jesus. Your hyper grace, you don't tell people to take responsibility. I say, friend, I'm sorry. I've seen the beauty of the sign of the Lamb of God. I've learned that the sign of Jesus and our faith in Him moves us from ourselves to Himself. I'm happy about that. I'm going to proclaim it. I'm sorry you don't get it. <laughs> so they say, I hyper grace. Then in recent years, the new accusation is, Keith, you're hyper love. All you preach is love, 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 love. Keith, all you, you tell us, Keith, God loves you complete. Keith, I'm so sick and tired of hearing you tell me that God loves me complete. Keith, why don't you go on to the deeper things? You know, the width and breadth and depth and height. And I tell my friends, I say, listen, if I'm hyper love, I'm so sorry. I'm loaded on it, though. Please let me enjoy this. I'm absolutely thrilled and filled with the love of God in Christ. I'm redeemed. So, amen? 
So when I get the accusations, because I'm astonished at the gospel, whether it's hyper-faith or hyper-grace or hyper-love, I thought, how do I answer my accusers, Lord? And the Lord said, why don't you just tell them you're hyper-Jesus? You, you know, and that's really the truth of the matter. I, my eyes are on the Lamb of God. Look at the Bible teaches now. This is what Paul told Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14. Look at this. And the grace. Everybody say grace. grace. And the grace of our Lord Jesus was exceedingly abundant. With faith. Everybody say faith. faith. And love. Everybody say love. love. Which are in... Christ Jesus. What's in Jesus Christ? Faith, grace, and love. Faith, grace, and love. Faith, grace, and love are in Christ Jesus. When you're in Christ Jesus, you operate with the faith of God. When you're in Christ Jesus, you operate with the grace of God. When you're in Christ Jesus, you operate with the love of God. And get loaded with it. Just get so filled to overflowing with the faith, grace, and love of God and smile at all your accusers and say, one day you're going to get what I got. You know what I believe? I believe that down the stretch in every human life, when you're getting ready and your heart's getting weak and you think and you're gasping for air and you got a day or two and you know it, you know what I believe people do in the quietness of the moment? The presence of God somehow visits them again. And you know what people know down the stretch? All they have is the faith of God. All they have is the grace of God and nothing more. And all you got is the love of God. If you believe that's good news, give the Lord a shout of praise. Amen. Hallelujah. I believe it. I believe it. Number three, real quick. Look at this. Are you all having a good time? So you get astounded by grace, then you abound with grace. Number three, then you resound with grace. In other words, they told others. They shared the love. Resound means this. It means to, uh, to echo, or it means to utter loudly. It means to be impressively thorough or complete. You, 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 you tell others. I find that my most effective ministry is when I'm not trying. My most effective ministry on an airplane, in an airport, in the grocery store, in a gas station, is when it's just a natural overflow. Where I'm not telling people what's wrong with them, but they see something that's right about me that can be in them. In other words, I become a sign. I become a sign... That shows them the sign. What sign do I show them? A baby. A baby that's wrapped in swaddling clothes and in a manger. A baby that's born to die to pre-approve you. And that's what astonishes you. That you can be righteous with God as a loser like you are. According to your flesh. But God doesn't see you according to your flesh. And he doesn't know you according to your flesh. He knows you according to your redeemed innocence in Jesus Christ. And that's the thing that grips you. You say, you've got to be kidding me. And I say, it's the gospel. Believe it. Believe the beauty of God's unending love for you. And it changes you. It delivers you from you. And oh, that'll be a happy day. When you get delivered from you. Because the only way, that's why you can't afford to see yourself or know yourself according to your flesh. You'll never like yourself. 
because you're just not that good. And you can't know your wife or husband just according to the flesh. Otherwise, you'll nitpick them to pieces. You've got to know them according to his redeeming love. Then you'll enjoy their company in the flesh. Hallelujah. <laughs> the beauty of God's love is when you understand the sign. But the sign has to be seen. God's redeeming love in Christ. Look real quick, Luke chapter 24, then I'm going to be all finished. Verse 46. This is what Jesus said on the day of his resurrection when he appeared to the disciples. He said, then he said to them, thus it's written, thus it's necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. What's he doing? He's interpreting the original sign about the babe that was born to die. So he's telling the story on his resurrection day. He's going to rise from the dead on the third day. That repentance and remissions of sin should be preached in his name to all nations. Beginning where you live or at Jerusalem. The beautiful thing about, to me, the love of God in Christ and the death and risenness of Jesus Christ is that you can preach the remission of sins, that your sins have been forgiven at the cross and that Jesus Christ has provided all. And friend, this to me is, is uh, how... I get a thrill with the gospel. You know, recently, I was invited to go to a Rose Bowl game a couple of years ago. I think it was a national title game or something. Maybe the year before last. A cousin came to California, and I live in Southern California, so he invited uh, me and one of my sons and another guy went. There's four of us. And we went to the Rose Bowl game, and we had to stand in long lines to get on these buses from where we parked to go to the stadium. And so we're in these long lines. And then... There were these gospel preachers that were standing where everybody boards the buses. And all the signs were negative about people in their flesh. And they were calling everybody in the whole crowd adulterers, and fornicators. And have you looked at a woman wrong? Do you have hate in your heart towards somebody? You're a murderer. They preached the law, you know. And uh, get right with God. Then... Uh, you know, in, there was like a, like, I was thinking to myself, you know, not one person, hundreds of people in line, hundreds and hundreds, just filing. And not one person was astonished with the gospel. Not one. And I'm thinking, maybe we're interpreting the sign and communicating it incorrectly. Maybe there's a way to communicate the gospel where there's such an astonishment to our pre-approval not that we have to qualify to be right, but that we've been given the gift of rightness in Christ, where now we're empowered by the life of Christ to change from things that are sin and things that are wrong. But I thought to myself, you know, in the old days, that, that would have been the Keith Hershey. See, the Keith Hershey before he got to be hyper-faith, and before he got to be hyper-grace, and before he got to be hyper-love, Keith Hershey preached to people based on their sin, telling them to qualify. But now Keith Hershey sees the sign in a different way. And I tell the sinner, I don't preach about them, I preach about him. And I tell the adulterer, the sinner, the liar, the cheat, the crook, the no good, whatever, who they are in him. 
And I say, if you can choose just for a moment not to know yourself according to your flesh, but by faith move into Christ and be found in him, not having your own Jack Tidley, not having your own righteousness according to you, but your righteousness according to him, everything's granted unto you. Praise the Lord. Give the Lord a, a shout of praise. Can you do that? Hallelujah. Put your hands on your heart. Father, these are your kids. Bless them. Refresh them. Let them be astounded with you, Jesus. Let them abound in the beauty of knowing you, Jesus. And let them resound and share the love to their families, their communities, and to the world. In Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Love you guys lots. Pastor Mark, it's all yours. Hey, there's a little teaching there called Share the Love. This is the